And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And this week especially is an important week to follow my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY. At JakeJakeNY is my Twitter feed. It's always important to do that because I always try to put regular references and longer form links so that you can see some more details of the things I'm talking about in what is a relatively short radio program. You know, the big radio guys get four hours a day, and and, and I'm doing a half hour a week. But I want everyone to be able to check my facts and to, more importantly, get more information about what I'm only able to touch on relatively briefly. And uh, this week, there's a lot of stuff where you're going to have to do a little extra homework and research if you really want to get all the information, especially because I'll be talking about something that involves investments and money, and I don't want people to do things with their money or do th- or make investment decisions. Uh, by the way, I don't give stock tips. It's not like I'm doing that. But when I talk about something where there is a financial opportunity involved, which I'm going to be doing today in connection with something coming out of Israel, I don't want people to make a decision based on just what they hear briefly here. I want them to do more research. So again, at Jake, Jake NY is my Twitter feed. And that is where you can find up to the minute, full references, uh, news stories, all kinds of things, uh, uh, you know, just about all the time. Um, I want to talk today about something a little bit more encouraging. I know it's been a little rough the last few weeks with all the election uncertainty and some of the rough stuff that's going on there. But there's something going on right now uh, coming out of Israel, which I think is a much bigger Middle Eastern story for the whole region, and I think it's a big international story, and of course it's a financial story as well. And that is the news coming out of a company called Israel Aerospace Industries, or IAI, some people call it. Obviously, it has some Hebrew names as well, and you can find that, again, in, in some of the links that I'll put up on my Twitter feed. But if you're wondering what this company is, my answer is you already know a lot of the products that they make. The most famous one being the Iron Dome system, Iron Dome system, which they co-created along with another Israeli company called Raphael. And of course, Raytheon in the United States helps produce a lot of it as well. Uh, and it, is, it truly has become a, a joint Israel-American product for, for quite a few years now, but especially in the last couple of years, because as there is a breaking news story this week, coming out that the United States uh, Armed Forces are going to use or are using Iron Dome batteries to fill a, a cruise missile gap in our own homeland missile defense. So that's an important, uh, that's an important part of, uh, of, of that story as well. But Israel Aerospace Industries <coughs> made news today by posting record profits for the first nine months of this year, of 2020. And it's a company that doesn't have to report publicly to the entire public its financial statistics like uh, you know revenues or profits and operating profit, all that kind of stuff like a public company because it's not a public company. Israel Aerospace Industries is wholly owned by the Israeli government. It's not traded on the stock exchanges. But that both of those things I just said <clears throat> about Israeli Aerospace Industries is about to change, most likely. For many years, the slow process, and it's been an exceedingly slow process, forces in the Israeli government, mostly parts of the Netanyahu, I guess you could call it administration. I know the official term in a parliamentary government is the Netanyahu government. But people on the Netanyahu team, let's say, 
have been, along with others, it's not just a Netanyahu project, but along with others, have been, have been trying to get some portion of Israel, Israel Aerospace Industries, which in many ways is the premier defense technology company, and really maybe even the premier technology company, period, not only in Israel, but throughout the Middle East. That's how incredible this company is. And I'll talk about some of the products that they're responsible for, Iron Dome being, I guess, the most famous one to Americans, but there's a lot of others. And there's a lot that we don't know about. <laughs> it is, after all, a defense technology company in Israel. There's plenty of stuff that they've done that it's not exactly public information. But Israel Aerospace Industries, for a while, has been a project of the Netanyahu team and, and others in Israel to make it something that could be a private company, at least some parts of it, so that investors can invest in it, especially foreign investors, so they're hoping to get you know, more money coming into Israel. And they're also hoping to put some portion <clears throat> of the company into in an initial public offering, what we call an IPO. Now, I'm going to give you what I believe will be the end of this story really quickly, just so not to string you along too far. I'm not... You know, there's so many imp- very important aspects of this story that I'm going to talk about and how this relates to Israel as a whole and the Middle East as a whole and the United States as a whole and the world as a whole. So that's my tease for later in the program and later in this edition of, of Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. But uh, one thing I'm not going to make, leave you hanging on is that I believe this is going to happen. And most people do as well. In other words, the Israel aerospace industry is this long process to making some of it a private company, in other words, not owned by the government, and to making some of it avail- and, and to make some aspect of it available so that it can be traded as a, an initial public offering in Israel on the Tel Aviv stock exchange and, and probably eventually on the NASDAQ here in the United States, although there are ways you can invest, many ways you can invest in Israeli companies that are only traded in Tel Aviv, by the way. Um, but it'll be even easier because I believe it will also be traded on the NASDAQ. So I don't want to leave you hanging on that one. I think that this is going to happen. I felt this way for a long time. It's just taking a long time. But today's news that came out about this, these record profits over the last nine months, I think are a major kick you know, in favor of this going even faster than maybe I had thought even just a few weeks ago. And it's not going fast by any means. This has been a process that's been going on for several years. It really became more of a public issue, I'd say, in 2017 or 2018. There's been a lot of back and forth about it. The fact that Avigdor Lieberman is no longer the defense minister, and he was very much against the privatization and the IPO process. The fact that he has not been defense minister for a while now has helped move this process along. But when you hear news about record profits during the COVID Situation And, of course, happening during the COVID situation, which has hurt Israel's economy so much, and, and many countries, of course, Israel is obviously not alone there. But the point being that Israel you know, wants that foreign investment money, probably a little bit more than it did before COVID, probably needs it a little bit more than it did before COVID. The fact that this company is still very profitable and the fact that missile defense and defense in general – is still an incredibly hot commodity. Now, I think what they're going to do with the Israeli aerospace industry's IPO and when it privatizes is they'll try to make a big deal about saying we are only privatizing the civilian aspects of IAI. And there's a lot of civilian aspects of Israel aerospace industries. This is not just a defense company. 
For one thing, it, the Israeli aerospace industry has had a tremendous business working with Gulfstream private jets for many, many years. Now, they don't make the Gulfstream private jets, but they make a lot of the key components of it, and they improve a lot of the components, especially some of the safety components. And private jet av- aviation right now, which has been soaring out of control as a great... <laughs> it's, it's, been a, it's been a pretty good investment ever since 9-11. And obviously, it took some kind of a hit during the financial crisis and stuff like that, but private jet travel ever since security and the whole schlep of flying commercial airlines, even if you're in first class, ever since that became something that really no one wanted to go through on a regular basis, private jet, the private jet industry has been doing pretty well. And it's done really well. And COVID has also made it do pretty well because people don't want to be on crowded jets anymore. And a private jet makes more sense to a lot more people. I mean, it's just, it's been a pretty good industry for Gulfstream and it's been a pretty good industry for for IAI because they produce so many of the products and, 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 and I guess you could call them accessories for lack of a better term, I'm using a fashion term. But a lot of the things that are in Gulfstream private jets for many years have been developed by IAI. Anyway, that's just one example, but there are a lot of other examples of civilian technologies, civilian aerospace that this company has been responsible for for decades. So that is what they're really going to say. The government is going to say, and the people and a lot of investors will say, this is really what we're taking private. We're not going to make the holy defense aspect of this company. Even though in the United States, our defense companies are publicly traded companies, even though they, they make weapons, even primarily, if you're talking about Lockheed Martin or Raytheon or stuff like that, it's... These are defense companies that, have, that are fully public companies. So it's not like Israel would be the first to, to make a defense company or a weapons company uh, public, but they're going to most likely argue that the, the portion of the company that they're going to take public will be the, uh, the civilian parts of it. Of course, that's a little bit of a, of a, you know, it's a difficult needle to thread because money is fungible. And if you're investing in a company... There's really no way that you can invest in just one part of a company. That's not the way it works. Um, you can try, but the company as a whole makes so many important defense products that to say you're only going to buy stock or be able to buy stock in one part of it or the civilian part of it is is really not. It's not. It's not. It's not really true. So it, that's something that you should remember if you're thinking about well. I'm not going to be able to really tap into the defense part of this company. I mean, you need to remember that if Iron Dome or some of the other things, like the Arrow Missile Project that the Israel aerospace industries is behind, all I mean, again, go on my Twitter feed because during the course of the day, I'm going to be posting articles and other references so you can find out all the things that Israel Aerospace Industries is responsible for that we know about. <laughs> okay, um, it's an incredibly impressive list. And I don't think that there's any denying that this is the premier defense company in the Middle East. It is the premier, certainly is the premier tech company in so many ways. Again, it's not the one that you know so much about because it's not an Apple or it's not a Teva, like a pharma company or something like that. But it is such an important company and it has really been behind so much of the innovation in Israel for such a long time. And, of course, defense being the number one concern in Israel, even now, even with all the peace treaties and things like that, it's always going to be the number one concern in Israel. And so that's what drives that industry. And that's what has driven IAI. Now, there are other Israeli companies that 
are publicly traded. I think one of the, the most well-known one is Elbit Systems. And that trades on the NASDAQ on the, under the, the ticker ESLT. And they make some really amazing products as well. It's just that they're nowhere near as big or important as a company to Israel or anyone else as IAI is. And Elbit Systems is an important company. company. They do a lot of important stuff in missile defense. Lately, they've been getting into some interesting technologies like the helmets for jet fighters and for helicopter pilots that automatically go to night vision when night falls. In other words, if you're a jet pilot or a helicopter pilot in a military capacity and you're flying a mission and suddenly it gets dark out there, you don't have to like change to the night vision goggles or make any kind of adjustment. The helmet does it for you uh, automatically, kind of like those sunglasses that are regular, your regular glasses, and then when the sun hits them, they become sunglasses. I remember when those first came out in the 70s. I thought that was so cool. Well, anyway, this is cool times 10, what Elbit Systems does. So it's not like IAI will be the first Israeli tech, uh, defense company that will have some kind of initial public offering. But this is the biggest. IAI is the king. And because it's the king, it's been heavily protected, and there's been a heavy movement in Israel from a lot of folks who don't want it to go private and don't want it to be an IPO. And you can read up about that as well. And like I said, Avigdor Lieberman, who is the former uh, Israeli defense minister, was one of the biggest opponents of it. But ever since he left the defense, defense ministry, things have been moving a little bit forward, a little bit faster on that. Um, the controversy in, is very easy to understand. You have a company... It's a company, but it's a government-run company that is dealing with secrets, you know, key Israeli secrets, key Israeli proprietary technology in both defense and, and civilian ways, but certainly in defense ways is the, is the key concern there. And there's a lot of people who are worried that if it is subject to foreign investment, there could be a change in its priorities. I think that the bigger concern, knowing Israeli culture is that if it becomes a publicly traded company, even if it's just some segment of it, that the ups and downs in the markets could end up damaging a company that Israel needs to survive. You know, if IAI stock takes a huge dip because of, let's say, just problems with the civilian parts of the business, let's just say, there's a concern that some people will say, well, now they won't be able to make the weapons or the defense systems that Israel needs to survive. Now, I think that that's a, a, a somewhat far-fetched argument, but I can understand the argument. And you can understand it from a country that is still transitioning out of its socialist roots. Israel was founded and originally run for at least a generation, and really you could say two generations, by socialists. And I'm talking about the David Ben-Gurion, Golda Meir, Moshe Charette types who, who founded the country. And there's a decent argument to be made that a socialist structure was something that was, was really the only way that these, the, the state of Israel could start out, not because socialism works, but because of so many people coming from socialist countries and so many people who were not ready to start industries come, you know, filling Israel and filling what was the pre-state of Israel territories for so long that maybe the only way to get it up and running quickly was to, was to start it under, under a socialist rubric. I think that that's an argument that can be made. But the argument that I would make, much, a much stronger argument that I would make, is that the more Israel has transitioned away from socialism and from the socialist culture and the socialist elites 
who ran the country for so long. The more that Israel has transitioned away from that, the more successful and better and safer a country Israel has been, for the most part. Israel cannot become Singapore. Israel cannot become, like, before a couple of years ago, Hong Kong, and just be a completely financially-based, trader-based, mercantile-based country. That's not, it can't really function in that way for many reasons. And security and defense aren't the only reasons why. There are other reasons. I mean, if Hong Kong, before the Chinese government took more control over it as it has over the last couple of years, as we all know, but before that happened, Hong Kong was able to just go about its business. You know, the business of Hong Kong was business, and that's all it did, and that's why it was so incredible, such an incredible place. And still is an incredible place. It's just not as much anymore, sadly, because so many of the freedoms have been lost there. But it was able to do all that because it didn't have to worry about defense. It didn't have to worry about really any kind of cultural issues or too much, too much politics. It was basically the politics were involved with getting business into that city. And Singapore was a lot like that, is, is, is a lot like that as well. And that's why they're so prosperous. Where they were. I mean, we'll see what happens going forward with Hong Kong. But you, the, the point is, these countries, these city-states did very well in that way because they didn't have to worry about the things like that Israel has to worry about. Not only defense, but also the cultural, the cultural creation of what Israel it, it continues to be and continues to evolve. You know, it's, it's a Jewish state, but, it's, but, but Jews have lived all over the world for thousands of years, and those cultures are still converging. The diaspora cultures are still converging in Israel, and there's, so, there's still a lot to be done there. And, of course, there's religious life. These are all things that, that Hong Kong and Singapore don't have to deal with. So my point is, it's not like it can be just a capitalist experiment of mercantilism and all that kind of stuff. It can't do that. But it can be more capitalist. Because, again, it had a socialist beginning, and many of those socialist beginnings held Israel back. If you had to list all the things that have held Israel back from becoming an even more prosperous, an even more powerful, and even more important country. And I would say that considering its size, despite all the things I'm about to name, it has already outperformed all expectations. I don't think there's too many people who would argue with that. But the biggest thing that held it back is that obviously Israel was surrounded by enemies and has been surrounded by enemies who wanted to destroy it for so long. Now, that is changing a little bit, obviously. There are, there are more friends or at least more non-combatant countries in Israel's neighborhood than there were just a few years ago, and that's amazing. And, of course, this year has been amazing with peace deals that are being signed. And, and again, these deals are important because it just leaves the aggression, to, the aggression factor at, at, at a lower level, and that's so important. So that, of course, was always the biggest reason why Israel wasn't able to, to be even more successful and even more prosperous and even more uh, innovative and all those things. Although I wouldn't say so much innovative because obviously the, the having enemies surrounding it created a need. And, you know, need is the mother of invention, necessity being the mother of invention. But my point being Israel would have had fewer problems. Obviously, the biggest reason that they had problems was that they were surrounded by so many enemies. But another reason was, I think, was the socialist culture of Israel and the socialist governments of Israel and the socialist institutions in Israel. Because not only were they socialist which really puts a cap on expansion. And when you put cap, a caps on expansion and you're already a small country, it's really like giving, uh, it's really like giving a, a young child uh, medications that will stop him from growing. 
<laughs> you know, it's one thing to, to stop something that you think is growing out of control or is too big, but Israel was small and was already given a cap on, it, on its possible expansion by socialism. But the more it moves away from it, and it has slowly but surely has moved away from socialist and, and labor unions controlling everything, they still are incredibly powerful in Israel. It's not like they're gone by any stretch of the imagination. But as, the more that they transition towards a more capitalist society, in not only in, its, in the way that its economy is set up, but in the way that it culturally thinks about things, the better Israel does. And, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu is a lot, has a lot of, really deserves a lot of the credit for this. He, I, I have no doubt that his admiration for and his support for capitalist ideals, ideals comes from his time growing up in the United States. I have no doubt about that. And I think it's also because of the friends and associates he's made over the years. One of them being my, you know, my former anchor. I used to work with Larry Kudlow, who has a relationship with, with the prime minister. So my point being, he has a lot to do with it. And I'm going to tell you something that many people don't know about. And maybe you've heard me say this before here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. But as much as Prime Minister Netanyahu will go down in the history books as the longest serving Israeli prime minister, and it'll be talked so much about his years as prime minister, don't forget that it's possible you could make an argument that his biggest contribution, his most enduring contribution to Israel was on the economic side during his years as finance minister. And believe me, he wasn't happy in that job. But he was put in as finance minister in the early 2000s. And the reforms, the, the more capitalist, the, more, the less socialist, the less government-controlled uh, changes he made to Israel's pension system probably saved Israel from a major, major Greek-like financial crisis more times than I can even think of since then. And believe me, when he made those changes, there were, there were protests. I think there were even violent protests in Israel. I know there were. I don't know how widespread and how long they, took, how long they lasted. But you could make the argument that his biggest contribution was his finance minister moving it away from a socialist guaranteed pension type system that wasn't realistic in a mathematical or an economic way. And he didn't turn it into a bunch of 401ks and a bunch of stock investments. He didn't do that. He just scaled back. He scaled back the socialist aspects of that pension system. And that's very important. Now, another thing he did as finance minister is he opened up the pharma industry. Now, there are a lot of people responsible for this. I'm not saying it's just Netanyahu. But the opening up of the pharma industry and making it much more of a, of a, of, of a unregulated, you know, again, it's not completely unregulated. We're talking about pharma here and, and life and death. We're talking about drugs. But it's much less regulated than it was before. And that made Israel a very, very attractive place for the major pharma companies in the world and a major attractive place for start pharma startups in Israel itself to start the business of creating new, new therapies and new drugs. And that's you know, a huge reason why you hear so much encouraging pharma news out of Israel basically every day of the week. I mean, if you want to do internet searches on biotech and drug, tech and, and drug uh, breakthroughs and things like that, I don't know if there's a week that goes by or even a couple of days that goes by that you won't have some news from Israel and an Israeli company or a foreign company that's being able to do special research in Israel. And again, that has a lot to do with Netanyahu moving the country away from too much government control. And so obviously this has been one of the biggest steps in that path, which is this making at least some parts of Israel aerospace industries 
a, 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 a non-government control, the public, you know, it, it, you know it's, 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 this is really difficult because when you're trading a stock, it's called publicly traded. But when you take something away from government control, you say you're taking it private. It's, it's you know, making it, you're doing privatization. I know, I'm sorry, I don't want to make my terms too uh, unclear. But the point being is the government is moving forward with this process of making it that, for, that, that, that people can invest in Israel Aerospace Industries. And this is going to be a big story. I think this could be, in many ways, the most important IPO, the most important co- you know, company that people can invest in coming out of the Middle East ever. Now, of course, I'm saying that in the shadow of Saudi Aramco, which is the biggest IPO of all time, Saudi Arabia's government-owned oil company, which they took public just recently. So I'm not saying by any stretch that Israel Aerospace Industries is going to be anywhere near the hundreds of billions of dollars in valuation, and I guess even up to trillion dollars valuation, for Saudi Aramco. I'm not saying it's going to be the biggest IPO in terms of dollar value. But in terms of importance, in terms of a technology coming out of the Middle East that is truly innovative, a a technology company, and yes, it's mostly for defense, but they do civilian stuff as well, coming out of the Middle East, becoming such, I think it's going to be a very important company to own and watch if you're a stock investor, especially if you're interested in these kinds of tech stocks or something that's even tangentially connected to defense. And this is something that's truly new and innovative. And obviously, Saudi Arabia's oil is quite unique in the amount that they have. Only the United States has more. And we're starting to pump more, as you know, as many of you know. But this is something different. This is true innovation in many, many ways. So much so, this is what the Saudis are interested in when they're trying to partner with Israel more and cooperate with Israel more. Because they need that innovation to protect themselves against Iran from a defense point of view. And then from an economic point of view, they want access to Israeli innovation so they can develop other industries in their country. So... This, to me, is an even more important IPO than Saudi Aramco, if you can believe it, because Saudi Aramco has been something that the world was waiting for for so long, and it finally went IPO, and they've had the bad luck of going public at a time when oil prices have been so depressed. But people are investing in that company thinking, well, when oil prices get a little bit more back to normal, when they get to the 50 or 60 $70 a barrel level, which I think we'll see in the next two, two years. Right now, it's as I speak, it's about $41 a barrel, $42 a barrel. But when that happens, obviously, Saudi Aramco is going to be an even more attractive company than ever before. But the fact is, it's not as innovative and as important, in my opinion, as Israel Aerospace Industries will be. And this could take another year. This could take another six months. I don't know how long it's going to be before you can, as an an investor, buy some share of IAI. But it's something that a lot of people are going to want to do. And again, I caution you, if, if you are interested in investing your money, just don't, don't just listen to me. It's not about what I say. It's about what your own research is, you know, and, and I, I urge you to do that. And I will put as many stories and as links as I possibly can on my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY, so you can read more about this. So this isn't, this isn't me selling a stock. Obviously, I don't own any of it because it's not available to be owned right now. But I want everyone to understand how important a company this is. I want everyone to understand how important for Israel this is. And I really believe that this is one example of why when COVID finally ends or, you know, gets to a point where we no longer have to lock down economies or shut down businesses and things like that, Israel is really set for a major surge now. 
because not only is it making peace deals and 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 that, and we already know that the peace deal with the UAE at least has already led to all kinds of business opportunities that have already started. But when this company goes public, it's going to remind everybody what is so special about Israel and how much it's been able to make out of its difficult circumstances over so many years. And I really think that it's going to be one of those countries that people look at and say, post-COVID, we need to follow the Israeli example of moving past some of these challenges. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.